you want to take your Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, the importance of remembrance. And you know, uh, as we've been going through the book of Acts, we've been taking it, you know, just section by section by section. And you know, there's some sections that are just like, wow, this is really cool. Some sections like, what is he trying to get out of this? Other sections that you think, oh, okay, I see what he's saying. This is one of those sections here where it's almost like what, well, we'll get to it in just a moment, but it's almost like, wow, he just reminded us of all these things once again. And so, as we've studied and worked our way through the book of Acts, as we've seen in Peter, Philip, Stephen, Paul, you know, we, we saw and witnessed each of them preach their first sermons. And this, uh, Paul's longest sermon, which will not be my longest sermon, uh, in this text we see Paul departing from Paphos and on his way to Antioch. And it's believed by many that this was the very difficult aspect of that journey that he went through so many things as he was traveling. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, says, which states, uh, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in this city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. I mean, Paul did not have an easy journey. And it was considered that during this part of Acts 13, beginning in verse 13, that he's really referring to the difficulty that he had. And remember, you know, some people have this idea that once I put my faith and trust in Christ, everything's going to get easier. And I have found that not to be the truth. Has anyone else found that? I have found that it doesn't necessarily make it easier. It just now means I have somebody to go through the trials with. And he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we know that God is with him every step of the way. He's guiding him. He's leading him. He's directing him. He's with him. But that doesn't mean it's not going to be without struggle. There's always going to be trials and difficulties. And, you know, read through the book of James and you'll know why God allows you. Because some of you just need more patience, right? I don't want any more patience. which means I don't want any more struggles. But that's not reality, right? So... When he arrived, he was asked to speak a word of exhortation. In fact, if you would look at me in verse 13, chapter 13, verse 13, it says, Now when Paul and his party set sail to Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John departed from them, returned to Jerusalem. So let me just stop there just for a moment. Um, I have been listening to messages on why John departed for years and years and years and years. And you know what God's word does not tell us? Why he departed. And yet it became such a source of a contention between Paul and Barnabas. And later Barnabas says, I'll take Barnabas. And, he, and then later in Timothy says he was basically beneficial unto me, unto ministry. I don't know why he went back. Maybe he was just tired. Maybe he had a sore toe. I, I don't know. But there are times, even in ministry, that you get tired. There are times that just doing good day after day after day, you're just exhausted. And for whatever reason, John decides to stay back, and it becomes a problem and an issue with Paul. But then he goes on, and look at verse, uh, I lost my place, verse 15. It says, And after reading of the law and the prophets, and the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, this people say on. You know, and this is where I think God actually has a sense of humor. Have you ever met a preacher who didn't have something to say? Well, Paul, if you have a word of exhortation, would you just go ahead and say it? <laughs> right. He's a preacher. He's got to have a word of exhortation, right? 
And so he goes on, and he basically Paul stood up and addressed the people. He says, men of Israel, and you who fear God, and what did he say? Hey, stick around if you can. What did he say? He said, listen. And that's one of the hardest things we do as people. We come to church. It's like, oh, I know I want to see my friend. I want to talk to him about what they did last week. I want to see what they're going to do this next week. And we're going to see what we have in common. We're going to talk about the weather. We're going to talk about the sports. We're going to talk about that latest show that we saw on TV. But are we really going to to be here and set our minds on listening to what God has for us? Because that's the important thing, right? So he says, men of Israel, and you who fear God. So in, in essence, he's pointing out the fact those of you who are Jewish people, those of you who are basically been proselytized, the Gentiles, he said, those of you that fear God, pay attention to what I'm about to say. So he stands up and he begins. And let me just tell you, I think this really what Paul was being addressed to do is something that all of us can take heart and learn from. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, you need not turn there. It says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. What's he saying? Be ready always to give an answer, right? In that way, Peter says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We should always be ready to speak should God give us that opportunity. That's why we've been talking about it on Wednesday nights and we've been talking about if you know Jesus Christ, What is your story, so to speak? How is it that God captivated your heart and your mind and drew you to himself? Who were the people involved? What were the circumstances involved? What did God use in your life to allow you to have a story so that you can point others to Jesus? A story doesn't have to be 27 chapters long. A story doesn't have to always be the most grandiose and exciting, but it's your story. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to go to, you know, sit through three classes at an institute to learn how to share your faith. You simply tell someone else what God has done for you. How simple is that? If you know Jesus, you have a story. And we need to tell your story. So we're always to be able to give an answer to the hope that lies within us. Always should be ready to speak. But this is what Peter, or I'm sorry, sorry, Paul, what he does when he says, if you have a word of exhortation, go ahead and speak on. So he uses the opportunity to give them one big lesson. So look away right away in verse 17. He says this. It says, the God of the people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. Now think about this. You see God's power. He says, with an uplifted arm. Hope you catch those little words because it's important. So, And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. I mean, can you imagine right then and there just hearing one little phrase like that, and in that mind, that one phrase represents an entire story of the children of Israel. How God heard their cries by reason of their taskmasters. He said, I know the hardship that you're facing. I know the difficulty that you're going through day after day after day. I know everything that there is no. He goes, I heard your cries. And he says what? I am come to deliver you out of this land and deliver you into a land that is filled with milk and honey. You know the rest of the story. But can you imagine that Paul is sitting there telling them, he says, God with an uplifted hand, and God begins to tell them of his power. What a story. And remember, by the way, what does God's word tell us back in the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy? That it was the father's responsibility to do what? Tell the children, who would then tell their children, who would then tell their children, right? Somewhere along the line, somebody broke the chain of command. 
Because if every father would have done what they were supposed to do, their children would know. And their children would know. But the reality is, what was God's purpose in that? So that they would never forget who God was and what God did. And that's the more important thing that every one of us needs to remember is who is God in our lives? What has God done in your life? Why has God done what He's done to bring you to where you're at? God doesn't make any mistakes. God doesn't do anything by coincidence. God has a reason and a purpose, and He is reminding them that you saw God's power, as He said, with an uplifted arm. He said, I brought you out. Then he goes on the next one, verse 18. Look at this. So he says, Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. I know that's just a unique little phrase, but what's that phrase say? He put up with them. What do you see? God's patience. I'm telling you, if you don't see God's patience in your life, you're blind. Because the reality is, Vance Havner said it this way, he said, if God judged sin the way he did in the days of Ananias and Sapphira, every church would need a morgue in its basement. I'm glad that God doesn't judge sin. Boom, first time you do something wrong. Oops, you told a lie. Done. Oops, you stole something. Boom, done. Oops, you did, oh, just waiting. He got his thumb just waiting to, to throw his power and his, his justice and his judgment over you. I am thankful that God is patient. Because if I got what I deserved in how I've treated people, words that I have said that have come out of my mouth over the years, actions that I have done, thoughts that I've had, I would not deserve in any way, shape, or form God's patience and blessing. I know that for me. I don't deserve that. And neither do you, by the way. It's God's patience in allowing us, and I think the word that you see often in the New Testament is the word long-suffering. God is long-suffering. He's patient. In other words, it's the idea that you know you're wrong. He knows you're wrong. But He's patient with you to, for you to come to that understanding. Why? So that you can deal with it and make it right. Not just so you can say, oh, well, <laughs> move on. Tomorrow's a new day. Then we'd be in violation of what He says in Romans. He says, shall I continue in sin because God's grace abound? What's He say? God forbid. In some of your translations, may it never be so. We're never to abuse the grace that God gives us. But He's patient and long-suffering for us so that we can come to the right conclusion to make it right. And when we get to that point, He says what? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But even in the wilderness for 40 years, God exercised patience over them. Then look at verse 19. He said, we're going to go through every verse like this. We might. Just hold on. Verse 19. It says, And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. (laughs) God brought you victory over your enemies. He says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And let me just say this. This is kind of a caveat. I don't have this in my notes. But, you know, we get so irritated with people. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. They said this. They said that. You know, they, did, they got this wrong. They got this wrong. And we get so irritated. I'm guilty of it. But we get so irritated. And God's Word says, your enemy is not what? Flesh and blood. And yet we treat people as though they're our enemies rather than taking it to God. I, I think I heard it a couple weeks better this way, and I can't remember who said it. But a couple weeks ago, someone said, we are so busy 
fighting darkness and making sure that everybody knows where we stand about everything that's wrong and evil in this world that we forget that we're here to reflect the light. The darkness is very evident, right? It's all around us. But we're so busy thinking that we have to fight the darkness that we don't take time to reflect the light. God wants us to reflect the light. You're not going to change most people. You're not big enough, strong enough, smart enough to change people. Only God through His Holy Spirit can do that. But we work hard at trying to change people. And that's not what God has for us. But what you see here in verse 19 is that you see that God gave His power. He says, I destroyed seven nations in your presence. For 40 years you've been wandering and I've been destroying your enemies. If anybody's going to destroy our enemy, who's it going to be, folks? God. So why do we fight as though we're going to have to do it? Anybody guilty? <laughs> I am. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I want to just, you, you don't agree with me? I'm going to tell you why you're wrong, and this is why I'm right. I mean, I want to argue. I'm, I'm, good, I'm, good, I'm up for a good debate. God's Word reminds us that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And yet, so often, we're so busy fighting when God wants you to stand and reflect light. What do we see next? God gave them judges for 400 years until Samuel the prophet came along. Go to verse 20. And after he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet, and afterward they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. So God gave them judges what do you see? God's provision. And here's what's unique about it. Was this God's perfect will for them? No. You see, God said, I want to be your king. I want you to look to me. I want you to follow me. I want you to look to me for your guidance. I want you to look to me for support. I want you to look for me. But God says, if that's what you want, I'll allow it. He even provided for them when it really wasn't what he wanted for them. But he gave them 450 years of judges. He provided leadership. And then he gave them a king that wasn't his perfect will, but his permissive will. Um, let me go back to the Old Testament just for a moment. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 5-9, through 9, it says this, And said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. What did they want? They wanted to be like everyone else. How does that work? What if, it, <laughs> I mean, isn't that how it goes in America? We want what everyone else got. I mean, they got a new house, I want a new house. They got a nice car, I want a nice car. They got a nice fat bank account, I want a nice fat bank account. We're so worried about having what everyone else has. It's just the rat race that never ends. And he says, look, every other nation's got a king. Why, why can't we have a king? But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the, of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should reign over them. And... Even to this, it says, the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, which they, I'm sorry, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods. He said, even in my reminding you, you forsake me 
to serve other gods. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing to think that God, even though He had shown His power, even though He had displayed His patience, even though He had once again destroyed the enemies and provided for them the leadership that they needed and the leadership they wanted, they still rejected Him to do what they wanted. So they rejected me to serve these other gods. Isn't that so often before we get so critical of what they did? Isn't it sometimes true of ourselves as well? God says, I've saved you, redeemed you. I have, <laughs> I have given you everything that you need to produce holiness and godliness in your life through my word. I've, I provide for you physically. I take care of you. I, 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 I protect you in, in all your dealings. And yet, we want to do our own thing. I'm guilty. Two hands and a foot. I'm guilty. And he's reminding these. Now remember, stands up and says, Paul, if you've got a word of exhortation, go ahead and speak on. <laughs> that was an open can of worms. Boy, you just asked for a barrel load. And he takes them right back and begins to show them everything that they didn't understand that they were doing. Look at verse 19. Well, you don't need to turn there, but nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us. I mean, in defiance, they said, we want what we want. What a, what a story to remember in 1 Samuel chapter 8. As you read that story, and in defiance, we want what we want. Wow. Verse 22. For a period, they had Saul, and Saul did not treat them well. You see fits of rage and jealousy in Saul's life. But then we see in Acts chapter 13, back in our text in verse 22, he says, And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom he also gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> How many of you, if you're honest in your heart, would say, I'm perfect. Nobody. Neither was he. Can you imagine? I, I'm just thinking out loud here. Can you imagine reading the, you know, the local newspaper in Israel? David. Had an affair with Bathsheba. Oh, great guy. Wow, check. Um, had Uriah sent to the front lines, killed? Check. Tried to cover it up? Oh, check. Um, Man after my own heart. Wait a minute. I'm I'm confused. Let's get back to God's power, His patience, His provision. Over and over, God demonstrates His grace that I am not worthy of, that I don't deserve. I'm thankful for His mercy and His grace because if He gave me what I deserved, I would be in hell today. But He's gracious. Is merciful over and over and over again, even when we don't deserve it. And he says he's a man of my own heart. And I, I've been thinking about this so often in my life. I've, I've come across this verse over and over again 
And I, all I can do is come back to this. Is it, all I can come back to is this. When David was confronted with his sin, he didn't hide it. He didn't lie about it and say, you got it all wrong. You know, hey, you, no, that's not how it happened. That, no, that, that was not my attitude. That, no, no you, got, you didn't see it right. You, know, you, you don't know the whole story. Did, did, did David do that? He said, I'm guilty. He owned up to him, his own actions. And that's why it gives hope for all of us. If you'll just be honest about your walk with God, if you'll just be honest about your actions before a holy and righteous God and admit it and confess it and forsake it, does that mean it's without consequence? No. Read Psalm 51. He says, when I was in sin, he goes, my, it's like my bones had waxed old. He said, man, I, 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 I felt terrible. But then God's grace steps in. Verse 23, <laughs> this is awesome. From his seed, verse 23, says, from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a what? A Savior. From this man, who was a liar, a cheat. Why? Because he had a right heart before God when he was confronted with it. And God used him. And verse 24, remember, this is Paul's message to this group. In verse 24, he says, After John had first preached, before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, he, he sends John to, John reminds them of the one who is coming in verse 25. He said, there's a man coming who's, I'm, I'm not even worthy to undo his sandals. Paul was doing something very similar to what Stephen did back in Acts chapter 7. I won't take you there because it would take too much time, but remember Acts chapter 7? Stephen, as he stands before the council, begins to give them a history lesson that they should have known but had forgotten. Why? So that they would once again be reminded of who God is. And Paul's now doing the exact same thing with this group. Paul is doing the exact same thing. He's giving them a history lesson on some of the important things that God had done and was doing. Romans chapter 10, verse 14, how can they hear except they preach or tell them? Uh, Titus 2 goes on to say that we need someone to basically preach the gospel. And Paul is that person. So why is this history lesson so important? It helps us remember who God is. Because if we're not constantly reminded, we tend to forget. I, I, I remind you, what's your story? What did God do in your life? What did God do in your life to show you your need of Him? Some of you can go back to a specific time and say, Boy, I was at this I was at this place, and the circumstance took place, and God just like spoke to me like I was the only one there. And you remember very specifically the people who were involved, and the things that were said, and the moment that you said, "Lord, I'm a sinner." And some of you can remember a time thinking, "Man, I, I'm I'm too big a sinner. I, I got too many skeletons in my closet. There's no way God's going to forgive me for all this. I've hurt too many people." No. 
It all comes down to your repentance. There's no sin too great. There's no scars that are so evident that God can't forgive and heal. What, what's your story? You should never forget that. Never forget the day that God allowed you to escape the penalty of hell to spend eternity in heaven to have a relationship with Him. Never forget that day. It should always be in the front of our minds. This is what God did because this is who God is. He loves me that much that He would send His Son to die. And over and over throughout the whole Old Testament, Paul is bringing them back to who God is and what He had done for them. Because I think they had a tendency to forget those things. Let me just close by giving you a few verses to consider. Isaiah 46.9 says, Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. There is a world that thinks, man, if I'm just a good person, if I just help people, if I'm just one that shows love to people who are going through difficult times, I mean, I mean doesn't that, isn't that enough? No. Because God says there is no other way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He makes it very clear. But he says, remember the former things of old, for I am God. I don't care what else you remember, remember me. Psalm 103, verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. He says, I don't want you to forget everything that I've done for you. Every benefit that I've given to you, He goes, I want you to remember those things. That's what's important. I can remember, I don't know, somewhere in our marriage, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I don't even remember. Somewhere along the line, my wife was looking in a box of junk in the basement, and she picked out these trophies and medals that were from wrestling tournaments in my high school years from when I won state wrestling tournament and you know all these matches I did, they were just stuffed in a box somewhere. And she goes, why didn't you ever say anything about this? And I said, why? <laughs> who remembers who won the World Series seven years ago, five years ago, three years ago, a year ago? Who, who remembers who won the Super Bowl three, four, five years ago? Who remembers those things? Who remembers the, who, who was the, I don't know, president of your class. Who remembers who was the MVP of your, your soccer team when you were in high People don't remember those things, do they? They don't, rem- they don't matter anymore. They might matter to you in your little bubble, but they don't matter to anyone else. I mean, there's so few people who are that great that people remember them for all time. You can win state, you can do this, you can do that. It really doesn't matter when it's over. But when it comes to God and what He's done for you, if there's one thing we should never forget, it's that. What has God done for you? First Chronicles 16.12 says, Remember His marvelous works which He has done, His wonders and the judgments of His mouth. I want to close by asking you this question. What is it that God wants you to remember from this point on? What is it that you need to bring right back to the forefront 
and say, I should never forget this. I think it starts with our salvation. Because here's what we've been talking about the last several months. You can never give away what you don't have. I could say, man, I'll give you a million bucks, but I can't give you a million bucks if I don't have a million bucks, right? I can't give away what I don't have. But once you have a story, you need to share that with everyone. What's your story that God wants you to remember and bring, bring right back to the forefront so that you will never forget what He's done? Never forget His mercy. Never forget His grace. Never forget how He's blessed you. Never forget His love for you. Think about this. That God would love us so much that He would send His Son to leave the splendor of heaven and everything that you can imagine heaven to be, and you probably can't even come close to what it actually is. I can't either. But to think that God would love us so much that He would have His Son leave the splendor of heaven to come down to take on the limitations of the flesh. And you say, what do, what do I mean? He's still God. Yeah, but He still hungered. He still thirsted. He still cried and wept when Lazarus died, right? He took on the limitations of the flesh, yet without sin, so that He could be the perfect sacrifice for us. Isn't that awesome? Never forget that. Never forget that. He loves you that much. What is it that God wants you to remember so that you can share it with someone else? I, I don't get to see family too often. I love it when I get, to get those opportunities. Um, I miss Don's grandmother and grandfather who live in Mississippi because it, it brought us all together either every Thanksgiving or every Thanksgiving. Now they're not there. It's kind of less often and you know, so this week I get to have TG here, Texas Grandmommy here, and uh, we talk. But what is it we do when family comes together? We share what? Memories. It's the most important thing because we're family. And we talk about all the crazy things we've done, the crazy things we've seen, the things that have happened, so forth, and we share memories. Why? Because the relationship is important. If our relationship is important vertically, it will then become important horizontally. But until this relationship is right, this one cannot be right. And so we have to work on that. So I challenge you, bring back what Jesus has done for you. Paul sat there and, and just shared all these memories. Things that they should have known. Right? They sh I mean, they should have known everything that God had done. But they were distant. They were in the background now. There's just noise that filled the background. And he sits there and he goes, if you got a word, speak on, right? That was, a, that was an open can. And he begins to share all the things that God had done. Never forget that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come before you at the close of this message, Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, your, your mercy, your grace, your goodness, your forgiveness your kindness, your love. Lord, help us never take those things for granted. May we never forget your consistent grace and mercy. So Lord, I pray that as we are sitting here this morning, that you'd help us to remember, just as Paul challenged these folks to remember all that you had done, may we remember all that you've done for us. 
Lord, it's easy to focus on what's not good, what's not going right. Those things are obvious. We can see everything around us, Lord, that we would love to change but can't. But what we can control is our faith and trust in you. What we can control is how we respond to these things by looking to you and seeing how you have worked in the past and how you are working in the present. And Lord, trust you for how you're going to work in the future. So God, speak to us this morning. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, every week we have an opportunity to respond to what you've heard. You can do nothing with it, or you can respond in a way that would please God. And that might be to say, hey, I need to remember what God's done for me. I've forgotten. I've gotten careless. I've been too wrapped up and focused in other areas to focus on God. But whatever the circumstance may be, you say, Pastor, I need to remember my story. I need to remember through the difficulty what God is able to do, what he has done, what I need to trust him for. God has challenged me this morning. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Yes, yes. The front, the sides, all over. Can I just challenge you, if you've raised your hand, your heart towards God, just to take a moment right there where you're sitting and just simply say, Lord, forgive me for not trusting you. Forgive me for not keeping what you've done in the forefront. Forgive me for letting my story become something in the background. Forgive me for failing to realize how great you are. Maybe others of you are saying, man, I need to get on the stick with telling my story. God has done so much, I can't hide it. God has done so much, i got to tell someone. God has done so much, I need to be more grateful. Rather than worried about what's not right, I need to concentrate on what God is doing. That God's challenged me in that area. Pray for me. Anyone like that? Yes. Yes. Take a moment. Pray as I pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for how you've worked. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives on a regular basis. Thank you, Lord, for showing yourself strong, for your word to be able to speak to us. And for each one, Lord, who's raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning, Lord God, I ask that you would do a work in their lives. May your presence be seen. May they know that you're with them. May they experience your love and forgiveness and grace and mercy daily. God, I pray that you'd work on behalf of each one who's raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning, Lord, that they would be able to take steps of victory towards you, Lord, in their walk daily. And we'll be careful to praise you, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.